0: welcome to the more to the story podcast i am so glad that you've come on look we have a great show today and many people are interested in this topic and they're thinking about it particularly in this moment many people in my audience are kind of in the broad pan wesleyan evangelical wesleyan world and we're thinking a lot about institutions and the roles the role that they play in our churches. But it's so important for us to think about how those institutions are resourced and also held accountable. So we're going to talk about that today with our guests. But before I do that, I want to make sure you know that this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And in just the last three months, we've added 250 students to our course of study program with the Global Methodist Church. That's wild. We are at our highest enrollment in our history and we are really excited to serve the gold methodist church in addition to dozens of other denominations that we've historically served as we are trying to equip leaders to be able to serve churches and the world well so we do that through our wesley institute which is a lay track that doesn't have any academic equipment accreditation, but we also have our master's, bachelor's, uh, doctoral programs. We would love for you to check us out at wbs.edu. Secondly, I'm thankful to my friend, Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner, who helps people, particularly people who are serving in ministry, think about their retirement. That's not something we necessarily cover in Bible college or seminary, but it's an important thing for us to think about. And so you can find out more about the biblical principles that Bill uses to help people reach their financial goals at williamhroberts.com, and you can find a link to him in my show notes. Also at andymiller there's several things that are available. One, if you sign up for my email list, I'm going to send you a free gift, and that is five steps to deeper teaching and preaching. This is a resource that helps pastors and teachers think about how they prepare to be able to serve their audiences and their congregations better. And at the end of August, and depends on when this podcast comes out, I want to make sure you know we have a new resource that's coming. It's a small group study on heaven, five sessions to think deeper and more biblically about the afterlife, and it comes with discussion guides. It's five videos. There's bonus content where I talk to other scholars about um the, this important topic that generally christians evangelical christians sometimes have a shallow view of heaven and we want to expand that to talk about the new heavens and a new earth and there's a beautiful picture in this study so you can find out about that at andymiller all right i am so glad to welcome into the podcast my friend dr philip dearborn who serves as the president of the association of biblical higher education philip welcome to the podcast
1: Thank you so much, Andy. It's so it's such a pleasure for me to join you and uh, have a high respect for you and all of the work that uh, that happens there at Wesley.
0: Yeah, and you've we we've, we've just gotten to know you recently as we went through the accreditation process to be right. institution, mm-hmm. and so we got to be pretty close, me and your staff, over the last few years as we achieved that goal. But you you haven't been with uh, ABHE that long. Well, tell us a little about what you did before arriving at ABHE
1: sure absolutely so so for all of my professional career uh, i've been involved in uh, in higher education uh, specifically biblical higher education uh, so prior to uh, joining abhe i was at uh, lancaster bible college in central pennsylvania and uh, uh, had multiple roles uh, starting in the admissions office recruiting students uh, and then switched over to the academic side and, uh, worked in the registrar's office, uh, associate vice president for academic affairs, uh, and then, uh, ended my time there as provost, uh, the majority of my time of my 26 years, uh, probably about 18 was, was in either VP of academic affairs or then, then provost. And, uh, so I sense God's call that he had something for me, uh, and, and a broader, re- uh, leadership role. Uh, so three years ago, the, uh, the, uh, Association for Biblical Higher Education. Uh, Ralph Enlow, a uh, longtime president, was retiring. Yeah. And uh, uh, long story short, uh, joined the team and uh, having the time of my life uh, leading ABHE.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. Now, I want to also get one of the piece because you actually commute from Pennsylvania. You're still in that Lancaster area to Orlando. Um, but you, I often love to hear how excited you get when you talk about your local church. Yes. And uh, every now and then well, we're there. We're worth thinking about, you know, things connected to the Department of Education and all sorts of things that we have to kind of talk shop and and do. But I know your eyes light up when yeah. you talk about your church. So tell us about your your church and your involvement there.
1: Absolutely. And in, in, in fact, one, one of the reasons, the, the ABHE board has been fantastic to allow me to continue the commute. And you know, post-COVID, uh, uh, the the world of of work has has totally changed, nice. and uh, my job I'm all over the country uh, visiting our member institutions. So whether I leave from Orlando or I leave from Central Pennsylvania, it really really doesn't matter. But one of the things that that uh, one of the motivating reasons to kind of stay here uh, was our engagement in the church, and that's something uh, my parents were missionaries, so I grew up in a in, in a Christian context. So so the church has always been an integral part of my life ever since. Uh, I I can even remember, um, but uh, when we were here in in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, this goes back uh, when Amy and I were first married, 95, uh, time frame timeframe. Uh, started attending a, a a small church called Lancaster County Bible Church, and we had about maybe two hundred or so uh, who were part of that work. And uh, over time, uh, just just loved getting involved in in ministry, and and you know. I I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the church. Uh, When I read the new Testament uh, that is God's plan a, for this age, there is no plan B. And uh, so we, we, that is where uh, I I feel like anything I do is, is geared towards enhancing what the church does. Um, So I get to do that through my work at ABHE, uh, but then also locally just be involved uh, in the local church. And I've been uh, on the elder board, chaired the elder board, uh, we're now multi-location, uh, middle of farm country, uh, and uh, we're twenty-five thousand plus attendees. And uh, God, God is at work in amazing ways. And I just, uh, for me, our baptismal services are um, every time we attend, every time we watch them, uh, just are it's so emotional because you hear stories of lives that are being changed by Christ, and uh, you hear uh, men and women who have. Uh, struggled with addiction. They've struggled with marriages. They've struggled with mental health. And uh, uh, you know, in in the in the old models, you'd call us a seeker sensitive church, or uh, you know, n- not ashamed to to bring people in where they're at, uh, yes. and and give them an opportunity uh, to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, and to 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 see these folks receive Christ and then be baptized and hear their stories of lives uh, of a life that's been changed is absolutely rewarding. Uh, so, so wherever we go, our involvement, whatever I do professionally, um, is, is always going to be connected to the church. So, so high level of passion for, for what happens.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I remember hearing the, when you told me you're at Lancaster or, or Lancaster and you had been there and, and still kept in this role, I thought, oh, well, that must be an interesting church. He's an elder there. And then you said at 25,000 people, and like, oh my goodness, this isn't my, I've been to been to that region. I'm, so obviously expanding. And yes. I love that connection to your own vocation. You know, one Some people might struggle, they might think, oh, this doesn't sound very exciting, Andy, to be able to have somebody who leads an accrediting body. But why, I mean, why in our time does it matter that we even have accrediting bodies to serve institutions. What role does it play in our society or even in the church?
1: Yeah, so so the the whole thing of accreditation is is uh you know when 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 you look at the history of it uh, goes back to peer evaluation, quality assurance, uh, mm-hmm. making sure that uh, the promises that an institution when you boil it all the way down to the basic the promise that an institution makes what evidence do you have uh, to demonstrate that you're actually delivering on those promises? Uh, quality assurance, and uh, it, it's interesting because everything that we're a part of from a business perspective, uh, businesses are about quality assurance, which is the same thing, the widget that a business makes, uh, they have a high level of interest to make sure that it delivers on the promise that that company has made, that it that thing will operate according to what they've advertised for it to, to do. And uh, so, so the same thing applies for higher education, and it has higher education has a rich history of peer evaluation. So, uh, within the sector of higher education, um, the the typical accreditation elements are teams from other institutions come in do an evaluation, uh, and and that's a critical part of it. But but for ABHE, the way we frame it is accreditation is one of the services that we provide, Aye. recognizing that we have a. Great platform in this sector of higher education called biblical higher education um, to, to to make a difference. And and several years back, we really asked the question: is 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 accreditation our only business? Is that is that the mm. business we're in, uh, mm-hmm. or, or or is there a greater opportunity uh, to influence a movement of God, a spiritual yes. movement of God? And so we've really expanded out, and we can. We can talk about it if you want to, but you know, into into leadership development and and really coming alongside institutions and answer the question, are you flourishing? Mm. So- Absolutely.
0: This is key, is like to be able to think about the way that you help institutions thrive, not just to give them a stamp. Like, you know, we have that stamp. We're thankful for that stamp. And we have other stamps as well, but we're more interested in a relationship that leads us. To flourishing, to health, so that we can, like, I know, for instance, and I was new to the academic world in academic administration, but I know the things that you all have provided have given us tools to be able to actually make that real
1: yeah and in a lot of ways accreditation is 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 backwards looking uh, it's also forward looking but if you think about it uh, the, the process is designed for an institution to do a self self study here are the standards how are you meeting those standards and it tends to be retrospective this is this is how we demonstrate that we're meeting these standards and our current cycle is that an institution goes through that every 10 years a lot changes at an, at an institution in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So what we do on the association side, so we have the commission side, which is the accreditation service that we provide. And on the association side, we're saying, okay, in, in those gaps of, of, of time and forward looking, how do we come alongside and help institutions flourish? And and I, I, I've i said this, this is one of my lines is, if if survival is your goal, you're done you might you might as well quit. Yeah. Um and, and I really believe there's good biblical evidence for this too that we're not we're not called to just survive. Um because of our relationship, because of who we are in Christ, because of who we're serving, because we're serving the church, the body of Christ, there's a sense of flourishing that's part of that. There's yes. an expectation that we're flourishing. Well, what does it mean to flourish? And so we're trying to get our hands around that and help our institutions and it, it flourishing is one of those qualitative uh how do you actually measure that right right all, all i can say is when you experience it you say hmm, something is different here i can't quite put my finger on it but the experience that i'm having the people i'm interacting with they they're, they're just different we're trying to bottle that and help our institutions replicate what's happening on our other campuses uh, our other uh, uh members uh to kind of get into this idea of, okay, just surviving isn't enough. We really need to be about flourishing. Okay, so what does that mean for our campus? Yeah.
0: How many institutions do you all serve now?
1: So ABHE, right now we have 157 institutions uh, throughout North America. That includes 19 uh, that are in Canada, two that are in Puerto Rico, two that are in uh, Alaska, one in Hawaii, Uh, And then the remaining ones are throughout the continental United States. Together, those institutions are enrolling over 67,000 students, which which if you do the math, that's a lot of small schools. But when you actually think about it, to think that today, I mean, we're uh, right now when this is being recorded, we're uh, ready to launch into the fall semester, right? 67,000 students throughout North America are- populating our campuses are, are, are ready to jump in and answer the call that God has placed on their life. To me, that's a pretty significant movement. And and we're seeing God at work in, in just amazing ways.
0: Amen. I love it. Now you see your seats unique. Now I can tell you a lot of what's happening at Wesley Biblical Seminary and the trends we're seeing from the denominations we've historically served, and not just denominations, sometimes there are networks of churches. I mean, in, in post-united Methodism, even though they're still existing in the in the new Methodism, maybe I should say. Yeah. There's all sorts of groups that are coming together, the Global Methodist Church, but also the Foundry Network. Some people are going back to some older denominations that that we love and serve. So I can tell you about that. But you have a unique seat, Philip, because you're looking at these 150 plus schools around the country and around the continent. What are some of the trends
1: that you're seeing? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, s- several trends that I can that I can unpack with you. Um, uh one of one of the one of the first ones and and i i i, I kind of call it the the guilty by association syndrome um uh, the, the the sector of biblical or Christian higher education is a subset of a bigger picture of, of the higher education system in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are 3,800, 900 institutions uh, in North America of, of higher education. That's like the big number. So that would be your state colleges, your, your community colleges, your for-profits, your not-for-profits, your religious, your non-religious. That's the, the, the big group. Well, okay. when you start to uh, bring that down to, to, to our sector of biblical christian theological education the numbers are probably in the area of 4 to 500 institutions that it okay um so 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 the guilty by association effect is whatever happens at the broadest sense of all of higher education we're connected in so there's a trickle down effect so what you see at the national level Uh, For example, U.S. Department of Education Engagement, uh, you know, that that title uh, nine uh, rules and regs are being uh, uh, rewritten. Uh, that's going to impact all of higher education. So it's not just a sector. So whatever happens to the big universities is going to happen to us. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens for enrollment trends uh, across whatever happens at the biggest level is going to also reflect itself in in, in our institutions. So um, I, so, so the, the whatever those trends are, we're not immune from that. So another trend that I see is what's referred to as the enrollment cliff. Yeah, uh, we we know very well, uh, we we track uh, the number of students who are in K to 12. So we know the numbers of students who are graduating. That's that's kind of the big pool. Those are the right. ones that are I call it the pig in the python right there. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they, we know who they are. We know what the numbers are. Uh, and we know that in the year 2026 across yeah. the continental United States, enrollments, high school enrollments, the, those eligible to enter college the the number drops significantly and that's in every region in North America let so, me stop you
0: there because yes. this is so important people like if you're not in higher education you're not thinking of this and that's okay but if you love your institution, like wherever you went to school, do you think about this? Like they are, every academic administrator needs to be thinking about it and, and is thinking about it. And it's a real, just thinking of this cliff that we're headed to quickly, that birth rate dropped. What was it? Oh, what was it, Phil, that hope that led us there?
1: Um, so so people are having less babies, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And I mean, and- it's
0: a financial crisis, right? I mean, that is like, don't, generally people think it is about that time that the we our country really hit the or the world
1: exactly think- so, so, so 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 i i don't do too much study as to the causation of right, why the right. birth rates have have declined the reality is they have and what's what's fascinating is even in post covid yeah they're even dropping further right well, so people yeah. are not getting married and they're not having kids Um, so, so this will, this is going to be with us for a significant amount of time. The implications to this are massive. We have an overabundance of colleges and universities in North America, and the pool is getting smaller. So the implication is schools potentially are going to close. And we're actually starting to see that happen, perhaps for other reasons, but I think this enrollment cliff in 2026. Now, what, what's interesting, you all in your institution serve an older population. Well, pig in the python. Right, it's coming. It's, it's, it's coming, right? Yeah. So, so so those numbers will 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 decline. So that's that's a pretty massive trend um, that I think everybody needs to be aware of. How do you address that? Um, I encourage institutions, just like you diversify your uh, retirement portfolio, you've got to diversify your student population, so mm-hmm. that you're offering uh, to, to to different generations of students methodologies, ways online, face to face, blended, hybrid. You got to do it all. Um, but I think that's probably one of the the, the more significant trends. Another trend is post COVID, and I, I we're not. Uh, the way I describe it is the cement is still wet. Uh, hmm. The cement has been poured. We're post-COVID, but I think the industry, all industries are trying to figure out, okay, post-COVID, we adjusted. What did we learn? What sticks and what what did we do that goes away because we were responding to a crisis situation? We're starting to see some trends and some research. like Like for example, one of them is, Uh, Some early studies are indicating that we have a generation, and sorry for this analogy again, pig in the Python, because it's going to follow them through. Um, We have a generation of students who who are starting to indicate a resistance to um, uh, uh, technology slash online education, and here's why. They are K-12. They were in college covid hits everything goes online but they did it in such a way that it wasn't good or valid online instruction and and nor was there an expectation that there was right because we're forced into the situation so this so 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 what people are saying is there could be a generation a gap of students who are going to be resistant to online education uh to hybrid delivery now is this is this still a, a, a an effect that's going to go away? Uh, will this be the trend moving forward that we'll we'll have to figure that piece out. Uh, but mm. it's kind of a, a a fascinating piece off of that. The other trend that comes out of that is students have a high expectation of flexibility. Yeah, um, they want to keep as many options open uh, in in their experience and uh, whether they want to come to class one day and then the next day, okay, I can't come face-to-face, but I want to be able to Zoom in uh, live, they have that option. Or, um, you know what, I'm not going to be able to catch up until later tonight, so I want to view the recording of the class. So that has become a student expectation uh, that they have multiple options to engage their education.
0: Right. And so we're doing similar things here at WBS, trying to be prepared to serve that way. It's amazing how people are wanting flexibility. And then that puts pressure on us to ensure we're evaluating and assessing what people learn. Because it's hard to ensure that those things are consistently maintained when you're having to change your systems. Nevertheless, like it's worth it. It's worth it to stay engaged with the students. Even when they're in a flexible situation. So, like for instance, I'll I'll teach a preach. I'm teaching a preaching class this semester. Um, I've had, you know, sometimes I'll have a half a dozen students in the room. I'll have another 10 to 15 online who are synced in with us, they're alive with us. But at the same time, there'll be people who watch the class later. And mm-hmm. so we ask people to do that within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm always amazed at the students who are local who decide. You know, today I'm not going to come to class, but I'm just going to sink in live. I mean, since right. and, and, you know, I can be frustrated at that because now I'm a over 40 year old person. I, I'm an old man. And so I'll say, oh, back in my day, you know, I would have never thought to do this. But I, yeah, still, learning goals, objectives are being met. And so there, yeah. there needs to be some flexibility with yeah. this in this time.
1: Yeah, and it's like a it's it, it we we talked about it being student-centric education being st- student-centric before, but I think that's really taking front stage, and mm-hmm. it, it creates a challenge for faculty members, especially those who have taught in the old style of of teaching. And yeah. think about it too the and it's a pretty serious implication uh, as a faculty member. You don't know uh, in any given class session how many people are going to be on site how many people yeah. are going to be online and who so if you're trying to do uh, learning activities how do you how do you plan effectively for it so it, it it offers challenges but the bottom line is a a major trend is it's it's we are definitely uh on the on the student uh student centric approach to things
0: Yeah. And and I think it's helpful for people to keep in mind. It's it's amazing, Philip, that, that there are people who often don't realize how online modalities have evolved. Uh, they might still have in mind, like if people who are my age, when the online education was around, it was totally asynchronous. And right. it was generally something that was pre-canned, not much engagement. Well, if, in, I know most schools that are developing it now really know that there's a value with the individual interaction with the professor. I think like that's the gold standard. I mean, if I, I say it's for us. I mean, are you able to say those types of things? Like that's still the gold standard, so to speak?
1: It, yeah, absolutely, it is. I mean, it, you know, we. I, I remember saying to to my wife Amy through through COVID and the lockdowns and the six feet and the, you know, we weren't designed this way. We mm. weren't designed to live separate. We were designed to live in community. It's a reflection of even how. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work, and what it means to be created in the image of God. It's 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 living in community, and there's something that happens with that. So so none of this replaces that. I I, I think it's just a question of uh, different means to achieve an end, and the goal of online education isn't to train students to live online, right? It's it's yeah, yeah. giving them skill sets so that they can incarnationally engage with yes, yes. The, the community in which they are, right? That's that's the mean to the end of the education. Uh, what, and, and I think it's a dangerous assumption to those who are saying, no, everything's gotta be face-to-face. You make a dangerous assumption that in a classroom setting, you've got 25, and, and I've been in a classroom, you've been in a classroom that you're teaching online or uh, face-to-face, you've got 25 people in front of you how do you know learning is happening?
0: Absolutely. With, with a yeah.
1: person in the back row three seats over.
0: Uh-huh. Yep. Is, yep.
1: Just just because they're physically there, right. does that does that mean that, oh yeah, learn learning is happening? Yeah. Mm, that's a pretty dangerous assumption to oh, make. Oh, I gotcha. Especially when you're looking at the back of their computer and you don't know what is actually up on that computer screen. Right. So so you gotta be you you gotta treat both fairly. And yes. and and so I think, yeah ideally face to face engagement absolutely it's a different world and and uh we've prioritized things differently um but i think it's achievable that you live in that tension
0: yeah and, and I, when i say face to face is the goal set, i think like the dynamic like you and i are talking right now to be able to have oh, yeah.
1: those moments yeah.
0: Uh in it it yeah, ideally if you can be there and shake somebody's hand, but you and I both know, like you just described that scenario of somebody sitting in the back of the classroom. It doesn't ne- necessarily mean that somebody's going to have a rich community environment when they're there physically in the same room, able to shake somebody's hand. Um, so th- that's something to keep in mind. One thing that's interesting too, Coach, you've already emphasized this is that you have like the biblical higher education. Now, we because uh, our our history, we've just Added an undergraduate program Um, that was in part why we came to ABHE, but we've been accredited by another accrediting body um, that's a a theological group. It's interesting to me though, as I participated in events there. I'm often on with um, my colleagues aren't aren't Christians always, and um, they'll be uh, there's a there's a there's a, a Buddhist chaplain. There are all kinds of inter- interesting things that happen in that group as that has evolved. But mm-hmm. you, you're pretty specific. I mean, it, you're wanting to focus in theologically, and yet you still are a big tent, so to speak. Tell, talk talking about that tension. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's 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 everything is is everything evolves over time, and and I think uh we're not immune to that. Biblical higher education is not immune. You go back um, you know, 150 years, ago, 125 years ago when Bible colleges started. They started in a church context, uh, why? Because they looked around and they said the major universities of the day were no longer preparing men and women. To serve the church, look at Harvard University's mission statement, 1636, look it up. If you're listening to this and you'll be shocked at what the mission statement of Harvard University was in 1636. It sounds like a Bible college mission statement. It sounds like a seminary mission statement. Well, the church was saying nobody's around, nobody's doing it. Um, So what the church did was say, we're going to start these Bible institutes. And and so uh, that happened uh, 125 years ago. Well, Bible colleges have have evolved over time and are, are serving the church. And, and uh, I think one of the dangerous assumptions that Bible colleges made in the early days was linking together ministry and occupation and mm-hmm. saying that uh, you are only in ministry if you are serving in the context of a local church. And what it did, I think, was alienate uh, the broader body of Christ, businessmen and women, uh, people in medicine law, uh, anything that was other than the church and said, well, you're not in ministry mm-hmm. O- mm-hmm. only if you're serving in the context of the church, can you be considered in ministry? That's dangerous. When I read mm-hmm. the scriptures, it's very, very clear, yeah. um, that the great commission is go and make disciples. It doesn't say using your occupation as a pastor in a church. Yeah. Right? It just says, go and make disciples. And so what the thing that I've loved and what's happening literally in real time is we're broadening that scope to understand, no, regardless of occupational context, God calls you to go and make disciples. We Hmm. need a group that are trained to do it in the context of the church and parachurch organizations. And we also need it in business and, and, and fill in the blank. So what ABHE is doing is pulling back and saying, how do we serve institutions who are committed to the authority of the word of God? Mm-hmm. We firmly believe that the word of God has something to say about everything that we experience in life. Everything. There's nothing that we experience that the word of God doesn't speak into. Well, there are colleges, there are universities, there are seminaries, there are Bible colleges, there are biblical universities who are committed to the authority of the word of God. We want to come alongside those institutions and say, How can we help you flourish? So, is it the traditional Bible College Bible Institute? Yeah, we have a lot of those who are exclusively focused on training men and women to serve in the context of the local church. Yes. Seminaries like yours? Absolutely. But we also have schools like Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Yeah, We have schools like Dallas Baptist University who are broader. They are under the Uh, what you would call a Christian liberal arts institution. Well, how do they fit within biblical higher education? They're committed to the authority of word of God. And here's where it plays down qualitatively to quantitatively. Those institutions require a core of Bible theology courses. Yes, yes. At the undergraduate level, 30 credits. So it's not just a name and there are institutions who say, oh yeah, we're committed to the authority of the word of God. It's in our mission statement. And they don't require students to take one single Bible or theology course. Well, if you're connected with ABHE, you're going to take a core of 30 credits, 30 units in biblical and theological studies. And I love that because that's that biblical integration piece that says, look, we're preparing you to go serve, make disciples, and we're going to train you to be winsome and have a firm knowledge on the word of God so that you are living a biblical worldview in the culture and the society and the people that you interact with regardless of occupational context.
0: I love it. And this is exactly like this is how we impact society. You get 67,000 students who are in this type of system where they are getting biblical education. And not it's not just in name. This is like they are taking courses and then of course those courses have to meet certain standards. Now we won't get into some of the details that you know you and I cover and and think about like what what our syllabi look like and right, all right. type of things. I mean, those things have to be there. And, you know, I, we went through the, the drama and the beautiful drama, I should say, of making sure we are up to what our peers would expect on that. And, you know, there's right. a commission, you mentioned the one side, there's a commission of accreditation that helps to evaluate this. At a, at a, so it's just, you lead this kind of, the institution that serves that. But yep. it's exciting to think that there are these students who are, broadly trained to be able to serve in the world under this umbrella. You got it. One thing I wonder, Philip, is like, um, and we've we worked through it this summer. We had a task force and we're presenting that to the students here on artificial intelligence. And this is one of the things that we have to work on is to ensure that learning happens, that we're not just kicking, you know, punting to chat gpt answers, yeah. and that we are having standards in place that enable people to not lean onto technology that prevents their learning yeah what, what how are you guys how are you thinking of that
1: so, so i love i love the question and uh i i uh the, there are days that i'm so thankful i'm no longer uh, <laughs> directly in the academy um, yeah. because uh you know you, you know, chat gpt comes on the scene and you, you've got to, you know, you, you're like the, the, the airplane is in flight and you're playing with the engine, right? You're, you're right. trying to figure out uh, how do we address this thing? The worst thing a college or, or seminary can do is write a policy. that says you can't engage artificial intelligence. Yes. Yeah, that sure. is the worst thing you can do. And, and that was a lot of reaction was, um, and, and, you know, they have software that can, evaluate something turned in to say, what, what are the percent chances that AI did this and whatever else to me, that's a, a race to the bottom. That's a, that's a punitive uh, slap on the hand. Don't, don't do this. Look, students, students are going to do it, which I always find kind of fascinating in those situations where, uh, uh faculty say, don't, don't, uh, don't do this. And yet the faculty members are using chat GPT to uh, come yeah. up with, with, with things. So, so, and this has always been an issue with technology. And I think it's a common reaction. Uh, you you have the sector who who say it's evil. Uh, good grief, the ball the, the the pen ballpoint pen was evil, right? <laughs> um, uh, technology, the internet's evil. Uh, yes, it can be used for evil things, um, but I think there's tremendous opportunity there. And and AI is literally changing week to week, month to month. Um, I don't think we have our full hand yet on. Um, how it's going to be used, how it's going to shape theological education. One one thing I think it will impact is part of how we deliver and and perhaps a movement towards competency-based education. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, competency-based education comes act, out actually out of the Votech area. Uh, from years ago, which was basically, and it makes sense uh, in the trades, you had to demonstrate. Yeah.
0: Can you, you change this tire?
1: Exactly yeah. right. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty basic. Either you can or you can't. You're not going to write a paper about how to change the tire. You're actually going to have to change a tire. Yeah. I think that application is is beautiful in education when you marry it with AI, content creation, get, accessing information, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et well, demonstrate that you're capable to be a pastor. Mm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Are you going to demonstrate that by writing a paper? Mm. Well, that's that's one aspect of it, absolutely. But similar to changing a tire, can you demonstrate? How do you demonstrate that you are a, a humble leader? Um, mm. Do you mm-hmm. have life example that can demonstrate the fact that you approach leadership from a from from a position of humility? Boy, you, now you're getting to the heart of what it means to be a leader. Uh, how can you demonstrate the fact that you can effectively communicate the word of God, not mm-hmm. just write papers about it or the styles of preaching or whatever else, but show us? Yeah, yeah, that you can do it. So so I think I think AI is kind of pushing us in that direction. Uh, there's a great guy, Seth Godin, I don't know if you know yeah, that no. name or not. Uh, he does a, a daily blog um, uh, uh, I love it. Uh, he 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 has a great TED talk um, that he did several years ago on education uh, where he just he just pops the balloon of education and says how we approach education is wrong. Mm. Uh, it's a result of the modernist era, and it is. And he said, basically, coming out of of, of manufacturing, we set up education to be a a, a factory. Mm. We we line up the seats, we line up the students alphabetically, we 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 do tests A B C D, and and it's built to hey, if if somebody fails out of that, don't worry, there's the next person. And it's just this factory of education. And he's huge on competency-based education to say, who cares about the credential? Who cares about, did you get an A or B or C or D? Um, Can you do it? Demonstrate that you are effective at this. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just a, a, a healthy way to view education.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we we hear it regularly, and particularly on the seminary level, the kind of it's almost a euphemism to say, like, well, they didn't teach this to me in seminary, right? And and certainly that's going to be a case. Part of what we do in seminary education is help people know how to think. And that's a that's kind of behind a lot of Christian liberal arts education in general. Nevertheless, there I always listen carefully when I hear that. Because it represents that something might, could have happened. I almost use that. I've been in the South now for 15 years. Might could have happened. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) It's a possibility that we could be in a position to be able to say, you know, that question arises because we haven't adequately looked at what we're doing in the educational process that we might need to reevaluate how we help people do the work that we are facilitating for it's, them in an educational environment
1: it's it's the beauty of of um, uh, you know the the theoretical and the practical coming together yes. the theological and the practical and that's been a tenet of higher education is it's not about content it, it it unfortunately is sometimes turned into that it's really about critical thinking how do you how do you critically think through information it's not about the transmission of information there has to be some level of transmission. But that's a means to the greater end of being able to understand how to think critically through something, and and that's always been the focus of 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 higher education. And then you establish that why, so that from the practical level you're able to function. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we don't need seminary graduates who um know the word of God from beginning to end every theological. Uh, framework and 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 know it in in 50 different languages and and then they are in a church context and they have a, a couple in front of them who are struggling with their marriage and they have no clue how to relate to yeah. them. Well, all of that is knowledge so that they can then engage this couple meeting them where they're at to help them, know how to better, how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife. And, um, that that's that marriage together that we've, we've, we've separated apart that I love what you all are doing to kind of force those things uh, back together again.
0: Yeah. In, in, uh, in my own, Teaching uh, my preaching class, what I make the move from for every student to see the distinction between two different seats. There's the seat where people are exuding scripture, where they learn to work with the text. And, and that I think of as kind of a hard seat, like a wooden seat that they have in a library and they're doing that sort of work. But then there's a second seat, and that is a kind of like the cozy seat, the kind of lazy boy, where you're thinking creatively about how to say something. So there's getting something to say in the one seat and the the second seat is learning how to say it. There's a a whole different discipline. Unless we're able to come to a place of thinking about how we actually facilitate this function, we're going to be in big trouble. And I appreciate that about even the role of an accrediting body, helping us think about how we deliver things and, and providing resources. So what can people expect? Like, you know, when they see an A-B-H-E, ABHE institution, like what, what, what does that mean? Just give us like have your elevator pitch on that.
1: Yeah, so 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 an ABHE institution is going to be so our mission statement um, that 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 we have is advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. So we're going to look for institutions that align with that. Um, like our job is to to help institutions accomplish that. To 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 do what to graduate students who are able to have a kingdom impact and kingdom in the sense of God's kingdom uh, and, and, you know, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, regardless of occupational context, et cetera, et cetera. So what does an ABHE institution look like? Um, they, they've got a very clear mission that aligns with that mission, um, that they are about training men and women um, from a biblical the authority of the word of God from a biblical theological framework uh, to, to to go and make disciples. We're not about them um, uh, getting great jobs, uh, getting famous, um, uh, having a, a good income. Uh, while that may happen to some of our graduates at our institutions, the focus is on and it really is around the church uh building church leaders whether that's lay leaders or uh leaders who are pastors teachers you know those 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 sorts of things so that's what they hold in common i would say they also hold in common Uh, and, and have a very strong commitment to the authority of the word of God. That is, that is absolutely huge. Uh, and again, going back to what I said before, the, the word of God has something to say about everything. Uh, we don't just give it lip service. Um, so, um, you know, the, 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 the faculty and staff are committed, um, Hmm. to the institution, the institution statement of faith. They have a, a firm understanding of it, um, and uh, the vast majority of students i'd say at our institutions are christ followers there are a couple of our right. institutions that that have a broader perspective in enrolling students and they view their mission statement from an evangelistic perspective and and it's not the majority of schools but uh you know one of our schools um reaches uh some of our alaskan um mm-hmm. uh you know, villages that may have 60 people in it, right? And they have a very evangelistic approach uh in alaska a lot of the the villages um there's a lot of abuse that happens alcohol substance abuse sexual abuse physical abuse those kinds of things and so they they see themselves as a ministry they're bringing in these students and 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 uh proclaiming christ through their educational process so those are some of the markers of uh, of our of our institutions it, i love it our largest is southeastern in lakeland florida ten thousand students our smallest is saint Photius um, seminary, uh, in Northern California with 12, 15 students. So it's, 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 it's quite, quite a diverse, but they love Jesus. They love the church. They love the gospel.
0: I love it, and, and I'll just say for people, maybe parents who are looking at institutions, there also is like a financial component, a board governance component, uh, student services side, like all those things that I'd like to make it so. This is um, just like we want you to think about Wesley Biblical Seminary as a institutions that's developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. That's in part the task that ABHE fulfills by helping institutions be able to say that with confidence. All right, Phil. Yeah. I always ask is uh, that my podcast is called more to the story. I'm curious. Is there more to the story of Philip that's normally told? Like, I know you have made, you're starting your own podcast, but is there's something that you like to do some hobby or something that you don't talk about regularly.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I love, uh, I love fishing. My, I, I mentioned my parents were missionaries and, uh, but, uh, so I was born in France, spent seven years there, but, uh they came to the states the Philadelphia area so I, I'm a Philly guy really and uh so city guy and yeah yeah uh, so, so we live here in Central Pennsylvania and we're a quarter of a mile away from the Susquehanna River uh so one of the relationships that I built here in the local community uh with my buddy Mike uh he basically taught me how to fish okay. and, uh, so it's a it's a hobby that I absolutely love and uh we're we're out as as many times as I possibly can and for me it's just I just I just love being out on the river. In a river. On so, a river, interesting. On, so, what type of fish do
0: you like to catch? What, like, if you had a good day, what are you pulling in?
1: So, so we're we're pulling in. Uh, again, this is Susquehanna. It's coming back. We're 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 downstream from Three Mile Island, so that tells you something wow. about the interest. Some interesting right.
0: fish, then. <laughs> Some
1: very interesting fish. But uh, on a good day, two of us are pulling in probably about a hundred fish. Um, wow now it's catch and release, right? So, and it's bass almost exclusively Uh, every once in a while you can get a catfish, but those things are slimy and ugly. Yeah. Uh, So we, we, we go for the, we go for the bass, but uh, for me, it's, it's, it's part of, you know, spiritual disciplines too, of, of just getting out and enjoying God's creation. And it's just, it's amazing to me. You live in a community forever when you get out onto the river. And mm. actually see the area; it looks totally different. So it's it's yeah. a perspective thing too. Uh, so I absolutely enjoy. It. So thanks for. I asking. love it.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, thanks so much, Phil, for coming on. We appreciate your time in the ministry of ABHE, Voids meant to Wesley Biblical Seminary, but also for the church and for the world. So thanks for coming on today's
1: podcast. Absolutely.